Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's winter. And the weather is crap. It sucks. It's dark. It's cold. It's raining. Sometimes I don't even feel like leaving the house. Even with something as simple and fun as going to a movie theater, winter has sucked the life out of it. But luckily, it's 2017, guys, and there's Voodoo. V-U-D-U. That's Voodoo. Voodoo lets you stream movies anytime from anywhere, your phone, your iPad, your tablet, your laptop, and obviously on your smart TV Xbox and PlayStation and things like your Roku or even your Blu-ray player. Get with the program, people. Forget the theater. You got people who won't shut up during the movie. People are hacking, coughing up a lung behind you. It's a mess. Voodoo has over 100,000 movies and TV shows, including Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. It should. I directed it. I'm so happy that my stuff is on Voodoo. Yeah, I checked it out. So what? On Voodoo, you get to rent and own just what you want. No monthly subscriptions, nothing to return, and no late fees. And it's free to sign up. All right, for a limited time, just for I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast listeners, Voodoo is giving you 20% off your first movie or TV show with the code Rappaport. Just go to Voodoo.com, V-U-D-U.com, forward slash movie credits. Voodoo.com, forward slash movie credits. Enter in the code and bingo. The discount will be applied to your next purchase. Use the promo code Rappaport, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T. Yo, the people have spoken. We are a five-star podcast. We've even got soft-ass t-shirts to prove it. Anytime you hear something on the I Am Rappaport podcast that is five-star worthy, go to iTunes and give us five-star reviews. 
can do it as many times as you want. Leave us a review. We see everything. Ask a question. ILO us. Whatever you want. Hit up iTunes. Give us a review. The good, the bad, the indifferent, whatever you want. We want to take over iTunes. They still don't show us the love we deserve. This is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. I'm very excited about this. I got a special, special, special guest. I'm going to gush over him first. I'm in here with my man, Big Ron Perlman. Damn. One of a kind. Well. One of a kind. Actor. Until they can do better. Fucking. They can't do better. They're unduplicatable. From <laughs> that, New York City. I'm, is, I'm just going to gush and then, I, and then I'll be normal. Truth. You don't mind if I just jump in every once in a while? Oh, yeah. You could, you could, ju- you could jump in as much uh, as you want. It's the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. New York City's own. This new medication I'm on, it's hard for me to shut up. How many medications are you on? I can't, I can't even tell. It takes me 20 minutes to finish taking the pills in the morning. Now. I got so many different... And we're, apparently you got a cough. We're going to have a phlegm off. And I still got diarrhea. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I guess I'm taking one pill too few. <laughs> you still, you're, you're taking pills for diarrhea? I'm collecting Social Security, man. I, got, I hear you. I got a pill for everything. I got, I got a lot of fucking pills, Ron. Yeah. I got a lot of fucking pills. Anyway, you were Ron, gushing. I'm don't gushing. Let me, don't, don't let me... Uh, All right, on. I'm just going to say this. One of my favorite actors, one of a kind, unduplicatable. Unduplicatable. That means there will never be another Ron Perlman. There's not a Ron Perlman type. That's one of the things that I love about this guy. And you can all stop saying, thank God, okay? You, <laughs> well, yeah, that may, may not there, be a bad thing. All you people out there in Pottsville, wherever the fuck you hang out. They're all over the place. Can I say fuck? Oh, yeah, you could say fuck, uh. shit. Pussy. Because you're gonna, I'm gonna get Ayello if I'm if no, I'm really lucky. Yeah, if you're really lucky. But I, 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 I don't think we, me and you, we could Ayello each other, uh, other people. I, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember like when when you got roasted at the Friars Club. Yes. And to me, the modern day equivalent to that is getting Ayello. Well, so that's that, not, that would be that would be an honor. Thank you. All right. Well, you got to do something bad, Ron. I, I, I but oh, I can shit. I I can to get Ayello. I, I have I, a catalog. Yeah, of, that. of different shit. All right, let me just tell, let, let me gush and then I'll be normal. City of Lost Children, Golden Globe winner in the '80s, which I can't even imagine what the Golden Globes were like back then. They were heavier. They were they, the they, award. They were made out of pure pure solid gold. Were they were they were they thi- twenty four karat gold? In fact, back then it was twenty five karat. Are you serious? No, I'm not oh, serious shit. at all. But you would think was, that maybe that's true. Like they're they're cheapening them out. They're they're hollow. Yeah, well, look look who's winning them these days. They're giving them they're giving they, away like they're giving fucking... them to anybody. It's like they're giving out Pez. It's like uh, getting black belts, you know. And <laughs> right, everybody gets one. Anybody and every it's like it's, yeah. You don't have to break wood. You don't even have to break wind. You Nothing. get a black belt. You, you you get them. Son of Anarchy, the original Hellboy, and the rare, extinct, silverback Jew, Ron Perlman, is in the building. Wow. What an honor it is to be sitting here with you, my the, dear friend. The rare extinct silverback Jew. I mean, there's not many of us. No, this is true. The, 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 it's, it's a rare breed. Once once we go, that's it, folks. I, I don't know if they're like... The, 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 that's all. That's it. There, there, there's a cutoff point. And, and I don't know if we have to procreate, but the silverback Jew is a rare species. Can I, can I, can you, can you like... I mean, not that I don't know what a silverback Jew is. Like, who doesn't, right? Right. But would you mind, for those, you know, on the West Coast here who are a little vapid. Who, Explaining? Because they don't have seasons here. They just have biblical events like floods and fires and pestilence. Right. When it rains here, it's like. When it rains, it floods. It, it's like the, the, the world's coming to an end in Los Angeles. And there's How, been a lot of rain. Houses start sliding into the sea. Yeah. 
Even just like a little sprinkle like it is yeah. today, like people are freaked out. Freaking out, man. <clears throat> the silverback like Jew is this. Okay. In show business, particularly. And, and growing up in New York, my father, my father who, who's like a duplicate of me, same size as me, but he always sort of like, I mean, he, he obviously loved Woody Allen, but he was like, he didn't like the, the, the stereotype of the Woody Allens, the Larry Davids, the, and these are these are all people I love and admire. But there, there's, in, especially in showbiz, there's a stereotype. The schlubs. The, the schlubs. Right. And when you put that out in the world outside of New York and Los Angeles, people think that's what Jews are. Right. But th- that's not what all, all of us are. No. There are rare silverback Jews like Ron, and hopefully someday I could be considered in that category. Oh, God, are you kidding me? So, like- so and, and in terms of Hollywood, because the thing about... There's so many things about looks, and then there's Jews, and then even Sandler, who's great, he's awesome. Like even Ben Stiller, but there's like schlubbishness, and the, there's there's sort of like Jews in film, Jews in TV, Jews in comedy. It's always like the, the guy who's getting pushed around. So that's what I mean. Like, and your career as an actor is so unique and and, and so one of a kind. And you sort of, how the fuck did you even want? You're you're a classically trained actor, and what does that mean to be classically trained, as opposed to like just like no training and like and how much of your classical training do you still use to this day? And in, in in all in all in all seriousness, well, come on, let's face it. I mean, you know, when we're all writing our first resumes, you know, right. there's a lot of bullshit on there, like right. you know, special skills, right? You know, could you juggle? What I, was some of your I, special skills? I, I can make a hole in one at a, a miniature golf course, you know, like I, I, that was on my special skills. And classical training, of course, I put that on there because I came up through New York and I figured, you know, it I, sounds should, good. I should say that. But are you not classically trained? I'm housebroken. No, that's about, that's about as far as it goes. No, but as far as acting, like you, you, you studied, you went to school, you went to this school. You Let's went put to- it this way: a lot of people accuse me of being classically trained, and I've never denied it. Right. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit. I'm not gonna comment further. Okay. okay. All right. You- However, I have done. I have. I. You know. Look, I started out in the theater in New York. Right. That was where it all started. And this is in the seventies. This is in the sixties. Holy shit. In high school, and 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 who are who are the actors uh, at that time that are sort of your your the, your peers? Like, were there any? Cool- well, I, let's face it, I had no peers. You you had none. <laughs> well, or, or the guys I'm going to mention, they had no. peers. I got you, and I was no threat. But um, I mean, I was lucky enough to come up in a time in life where there were so many motherfuckers walking the earth. I mean, I was alive when Humphrey Bogart passed away. Uh. And Clark Gable. Right. And, and Gary Cooper. Right. And Spencer Tracy was was in his last throes in the first 15 years of my life doing stuff like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and, all, and Judgment at Nuremberg. So these guys were still at large and working, and they were vestiges of... And vital enough so that and and Burt Lancaster, who is my absolute, you know, that's my. Is that your guy? Absolute favorite, favorite guy. What 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 about Burt Lancaster? Man, I, I I I've never been asked to to put that into into some sort of cogent thought. Like, what is it about? Like, you know, because there's different people, like different guys. Like you mentioned these actors, everybody has their guy they relate to. What was it about? Burt Lancaster, that you say that's your guy. Look, I'm as heterosexual 
as it gets. Yes. So you say, I, I read things, the internet, there's no, a lot no, of no, shit look, coming uh, up, Ryan. You're talking there about was, the 60s, you're in was the, the theater. There was an incident or two during grad school. I'm not going to get into it. But with Bert, there was something about the way he moved, his swagger and everything, that I, I am, I'm a groupie. Mm. There's an audacity to him. Mm. There's, there's a, a manliness to him. There's a, um, a confidence mm-hmm. that he imbues to the viewer when you're watching him move through a role. And um, and then there's this joie de vivre that comes out every once in a while that mm-hmm. is that is singular. There's there's no other actor that that could have or could have could have been Hel- Elmer Gantry like he was Elmer. Right, Gantry. right. That, you know, he just ate that shit up. There was right. no piece of scenery left standing right. when he got finished. Um, and then he just does all this physical stuff, like he started out as an acrobat and. And uh, so he's just, you know, nobody looked better pulling a gun out of a holster. Right. Nobody looked better walking down um, uh, Boot Hill. Right. You know, uh, the OK Corral. Right. Um, and I don't know. And then, and then um, on top of all that, he uh, becomes a producer in a time when actors weren't known for being producers right. and starts a production company. And if you look at the body of work that came out of the production company. What did he produce? He produced uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Yep. Trapeze, The Swimmer. He produced all stuff uh, that would have been European art house films. Right. But he was doing them as a mainstream Hollywood star right. who could choose what he was going to parlay his power and his leverage right. to do. He was doing like George Clooney shit. Yeah. Ben Affleck. I mean, Clooney to me was like sort of the revitalization of like actor, producer. Well, and then a lot of people started doing it. You know, the, 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 there's... Michael the, Douglas did it with Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. There's a whole little sub-genre of actors who I truly admire in a world where... I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with watching what people do with their fame and right. their power and their and their ability to pick and choose. Right. Very few of them get it right. Right, I agree. And Bert was one of the first guys. Kirk Douglas actually as well. They right. Were, they were like asshole buddies. They uh-huh. did five movies together. No mistake. But you know, they both wanted to be more than movie stars. You know, <laughs> right. they, they they wanted to leave behind. Um, some sort of reflection of their own aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, and their and and with regard to Bert, if you look at the these these movies that I just mentioned, and I'm 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 blanking on a lot of the movies that were produced by Hecht Hill Lancaster, which was his production company. But if you just take Sweet Smell of Success, right. which had Clifford Odets and Ernest Lehman as the screenwriters, and you had Alexander McKendrick and directing and James Wong Howe doing this, you know, definitive black and white photography. And it was basically about a columnist, not unlike Walter Winchell, who had the entire world by the balls. I mean, he was the J. Edgar Hoover of columnists. Right. He kept a file on motherfuckers. Right. And Bert was warned, if you do Sweet Smell of Success, you're done in this town. They were going to shut... 
And that just made him want to do it even more. For me, there's always like the big bang in acting. And it was James Dean and Brando. And they took what Burt, Humphrey Bogart, Cagney, all, all the guys and the girls. But for, as far as I'm talking about men, and, and since, because it's interesting, you're talking about Burt being your guy. And then the naturalistic form of acting, Brando being the, the real sort of game changer. But it was Paul Newman was doing it. James Dean was doing it, where it became naturalistic. Because for me, a lot of times when I look at older films, I'm like, even, um, what's the film? Uh, I just watched it again over Christmas. The the Christmas, um, you watch it every not, year on not Christmas. That's the Jimmy Stewart one. Yes. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Little film. Little but tiny I, Capra film. But yeah, tiny little film. They, but but I was just watching, and I'm like watching. I'm like I'm, you know, and I'm like, this film, you know, like it's like I have to shift my brain because it, the style of acting, the style of filmmaking, it's it's prehistoric. But the acting itself, like you see the acting as opposed to when, you know, in the '60s, the all like the guys and all they were at in New York. Pacino, they shifted the whole thing, and it became they took everything these guys, and then it became this naturalistic thing. And you know, you saying you love Bert and 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 you know being a New York theater guy and starting in that was that something that was in the air or was it just something that was happening? Do you know what I'm saying? Was it something that was being talked about? Like, yo, we're gonna change this. We're gonna make it more real. We're gonna make it more genuine. We're gonna make it more like uh, as opposed to acting. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it, it's I'm not well read enough, and I should be because I'm kind of obsessed with with you know what you're sort of driving at and talking around right now i'm very obsessed with that that seismic shift where the narrative turned into something much more internalized and behavioral which is what you're talking about right and, and brando happened to be brando and montgomery clift happened to be right. on the cusp of that as it was happening right. then there was all this other stuff <clears throat> that was um part of the environmental zeitgeist where a change was it was in, you know inevitable anyway right like the, the studios were breaking down right independent everything became more like independently contracted right the emergence of the auteur right. the emergence of and post world war 2 uh I, I don't know all of the events that led up to it but um there was a declarativeness the focus was on storytelling, right? Until the focus became um, kind of obsessed with idiosyncrasy and behavior, right? And and, uh, and the anti the anti hero, yeah. You know, like the, the the guy who's the most fucked up guy is your hero, of, right? Of, and that's when it became uh, essential that the new generation of guys had to be in touch with their vulnerabilities right and their and their flaws and their weaknesses because that was what became the endearing thing that 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 wagged the dog right whereas in the old days like i, I you know what i wanted to do on a turn of classic movies one time is i wanted to do five war movies and i wanted to do two from the 30s and 40s mm -hmm. and then the middle one would be best years of our lives right and then two post 1950. And what would be the what would be the five? What would be the first two? Well, I, the first one of the first two would would have to be 
Sergeant York. Okay. Because Mel fucking Gibson just fucking remade it as Hacksaw Ridge. Right. It's a story about a conscientious objector. Right. Mel, I'm not belittling Mel Gibson. Right. It's, it should be the best picture of the year. It's a masterpiece. Right. But it's the second movie about a conscientious objector. And right. the first one was a motherfucker. It was Howard Hawks. It was right. made in like the 30s, I think. Um, maybe 41, you know, just as we were getting into the war. But it was a big idea film. And the behavior wasn't the thing you walked away with. You right. walked away with the big idea of this guy who was dirt poor, who was like, you know, at, but who was imbued with some sort of patriotic, you know, and it was, these were the, th these were the things that made the movie, the movie. Right. And the filmmaking was, had this sweep to it, this historic, epic sweep to it. Big shots. Right. You know, where everything became close-ups post-50. Right. The second war movie I would pick, I don't know. It would, you know, it could be it could be any number of things, All Quiet on the Western Front or any, anything like this. Then there was Best Years of Our Lives. Great film. If you've never seen it. And it's a it's a best picture. Yep. It was made in like 1948. Yep. And it's 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 about guys coming home from World War II, three guys who spent a goodly amount of the war together and who bonded in ways that only soldiers can bond. Right. And then they, the first 15 minutes of the movie is them on this cargo flight. Yep. Coming back. Yep. And they're laughing and they're carrying on. One of them has hooks for hands. Yep. He got a, a, an Oscar, that actor. The other one is um, um, Dana Andrews. Yep. And then the guy who was. Uh, you know, we don't fact check at the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. So if it comes back to in 40 minutes. Yeah. There's no fact checking. That's the beauty. One of the beautiful yeah. things. It's like you could say you could you could say you could you could say the wrong actor. No, but I'll you know, but I'll. Think It'll come to you. Yep. But anyway, um, and when they come back, it's the first time a movie examined the price, right? The human price, right? These guys are really damaged, right? And they assimilating is is not even possible, right? They didn't call it PTSD. Right. They maybe they didn't even want to dignify sentimentalizing it by even calling it uh, anything. Right. It just was three guys who had no fucking chance. Right. At getting back to who they were. Right. Pre-uniform. Right. And all of a sudden, movies got psychological. Right. From that moment on, you would say that movie was a, was a. I shift. think that that movie was was the dividing line between. The storytelling of the 30s and 40s, which was big scope, mm -hmm. big idea, mm -hmm. big narrative. Mm -hmm. And then it switched to behavioral right. and internalized. And I'm not particularly a fan of, of, the, of the switch, by the way, because okay. I'm a fan of the big idea stuff. And okay. I'm a fan of the, the, the John Fords and the, okay. and the Preston Sturges and the Frank Capras okay. and, 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 you know, the guys. Yeah. Not saying that, you know... We don't have uh, an incredible array of genius, right? From from 1950 to the present, right? But it didn't change. Yeah, no, it totally changed. And you and me are like we're part of the change. Yes. Now, getting back to what you originally asked me, I was born in 1950, right. so I was you know alive when Streetcar Named Desire was playing on Broadway. And did became, you see it? 
became a movie. No, I, I didn't see a Broadway show till I was 17. I had no money. My aunt, my rich aunt had to take me to see Fiddler on the Roof. That was the first fucking show. How I old saw. were you? 17. And you were growing up. I was your- already doing plays and I still hadn't seen a Broadway Where were you doing play. plays? High school. What high school did you go to? George Washington High School in Washington Heights. And you're from Washington Heights. I am from Washington Heights. Now, and I, I'm not only from there, I'm of there. I, I hear you. you Explain what, I mean? what you mean. I don't know what I mean. But it, 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 I'm going to explain what, what if Washington Heights. And Please Ron, explain it for me. Ron could do it better because you grew up there. Listen, I don't know about that. Washington Heights is totally Latin now, right? right? Dominican. No not, no, not really because the neighborhood my mom still lives in. She still lives in Washington yeah, Heights? there's an enclave still. Uh, of old Jews. Yeah. That's but, fucking but fantastic. Not only that. Explain where Washington Heights is, though, for people that aren't New Yorkers. So Washington Heights is the, the George Washington Bridge side of, of uh, Manhattan, which leads to Jersey. That area. It's above Harlem. Yeah. It starts at around 168th Street. Right. And it goes all the way to Inwood, which is about 190th Street. Right. And it and it goes from the East River all the way to the Hudson River. Right. So it's this huge block. Um, and the reason why they call it Washington Heights is because at the peak of, of 186th Street and Fort Washington Avenue is the highest point in Manhattan. I didn't know that. It's actually, a, it, it, you start climbing a hill. Yep. As, you're, as you get to midtown Manhattan and, and, then the, and the pinnacle. And this is where George Washington and the troops waited for Burgoyne and the British. Oh, shit. And they had a, a, a decisive battle. They were able to watch the Brits march up Manhattan, and then they kicked their motherfucking ass. Kicked their fucking ass. And here we are. And, Co- yeah, because of that. Couple of Jews. Couple of Jews. Talking. But, so, but you're from Washington Heights, so there was an enclave. So because in, in 1950, you're born there. Mm-hmm. The, the neighborhood is is what? Uh, what's the racial mix that t- at that at that time, and what is it now? Well, there were a lot of uh, um, Holocaust survivors. Okay. So there were a lot of uh, damaged Jews uh, that were there. Okay. And um, many, many old people settled there and then started having families. So that's how that's how I assimilated there. Got you. I had a, a grandma who escaped Poland and okay. stuff. And they ended up in Washington Heights. And there were a tremendous amount of that, but there were also a great deal of Irish. Right. There were uh, a, a lot of Italians. And then this new thing that started right when I was born, which is Puerto Ricans. Right. Which is how we got the, the show West Side Story. Right. So, you know, the, the Puerto Ricans became so inundative of all of Manhattan, but particularly uh, certain parts of Manhattan, Did that, you-, you know, they had the idea to, like, adapt Romeo and Juliet into West Side Story. Now, so that's a fucking cool place to grow up. I mean, to me, like, I, I always, you know, New York is so much of who I am. But old, like my father, you know, he's 1933, he's from the Upper West Side. But like, you know, I never, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood that was like, had that eclecticness, you know, and I always admire it. Like, I always like envy it, you know, like I always like wish part of me feels like, you know, like I'm from that time, you know what I mean? Because it's so, it doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like the, the the neighborhoods, I mean, now it's totally fucked up, but like to have like, you're around all the different people, all different kinds of people. Um, but all working class people, I imagine. To me, I, I envy that. I think that's so fucking dope. Like, you speak Spanish? No. Like, you, you don't speak New York Spanish? No, no, no. If I speak any Spanish at all, it's because of going to Mexico as much as I did with Guillermo. 
Right. But um, no, I didn't. I didn't learn anything as a kid except how to run. <laughs> I, had, I learned how to run away from shit a lot. Was there a lot of shit going on up there? There, there? was a lot of shit going on, man. You know, there was like like any neighborhood in the world that has that kind of cross section of ethnicities. Right. There's gonna be tribal stuff. There's right. gonna be territorial stuff. Right. And so the Irish hated the fucking. Can I say Spanish? Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes the, over, especially the, this day and age, everybody hated the Jews. The political, po- the political uh, the, correct police are at my fucking door right now. Everybody hated. They're, yeah, they're going to knock they're, the fucking. Door. They're 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 here right now. Oh, I got. I wish I could ILO somebody. Oh, don't worry, I'll get them. Yeah, we got, get them for me. I'll right? get them. But anyway, uh, everybody, you know, every there was always a tension. There was right. always a tension, and if you were Jewish, even if you were a big guy like me, right? Which and I, I wasn't, you know. Because I come from a Jewish background, fighting wasn't right in, in the menu. That, that's just not our part of our thing. It wasn't on the menu, right? You know, and but if, if, like- if anybody needed to, had to learn how to fight, or or, or at least have a swagger, right? Where, where fighting was was like um, uh, indicated, to, uh-huh. just just as a defense mechanism. Like, come on, motherfucker, come 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 on over here. I'll I'll kick your fucking, you know. Just to have that would have been good if you were a Jew. You didn't have that when you you were younger. I I I have it now. Now you have it. You play that. <laughs> no, but I mean, now I'm so pissed off about everything that I. That, that, <laughs> you're you're that, ready that, to I'm, go. I'm, I'm I am I'm at all times. It's not good though. Uh, me too. I, I I almost had a fight right outside my door two weeks ago. This well, it, whatever. But I mean, it's. It, I know what you mean because there's so much sort of palpable shit and frustration. And as you get older, you sort of. You know, I find myself sort of embracing what I like, what I don't like, the, the crotchety, the grumpiness, the fucking politics, which we're going to get into, Ron, Ron Perlman 2020. Um, yeah, thank um, you. Because right, I, I I, I'm going to jump all over the place. But the best thing that ever happened to me, just to put a capper on uh, old New York, on, on the, the skills that you needed to grow up in New York, Yeah, fighting would have been a good one. Yeah. And the best thing that ever happened to me was that there was this one Irish guy who sensed a weakness in me uh-huh. and basically was picking me like a scab. And the more he picked at me, the more he realized, you know, you're a pussy, you're a fucking pussy. And then one day he, he hit me as hard as he could in the head. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? Because it didn't hurt. Because? I found out I could fucking take a punch. Okay. And then all fear left me. That's good. And this guy looked at me like not, you know, he hit me as hard as he could. Where do he actually connect? Like upside the motherfucking you head. You got a fucking head, Ron. Yeah. But he hit me really hard and I basically just went, mm. and, I, and I looked at him and he goes, oh shit, he's going to kill me now. Right. No, I didn't hit him back. Right. But the minute you learn you could take a punch. Right. Is a very, it's like a very seminal moment in a young man's life. Right. Right. Because then it's like, what? what's the worst they can do? Right. You know? You might, you're going to break your hand. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, go ahead, hit me. Right. You know, maybe I'll go down. Maybe I won't. Right. So. And maybe I might kinda, hit back at some kinda point. It's kind of liberating. Yo, I am so excited for NBA All-Star Weekend, and it's not what you think. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is coming live to the big Easy for NBA All-Star Weekend. Me and G. Moody will be performing at the iconic Joy Theater in New Orleans Saturday, February 18th at 5.30 with doors opening at 4.30. 
tickets are available at www.imrappaporttour.com or www.joytheater.com. You know what we do when we do live shows. You've heard them. If you're in New Orleans for the NBA All-Star Weekend or if you're just chilling down in New Orleans and you're fans of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, come see us live at the Joy Theater Saturday, February 18th at 5.30 p.m. Doors open at 4.30. Go to www.imrapporttour.com. I love my Blue Apron meals. I'm back to cooking at home. I'm making great meals that are saving me money, time, and they are delicious. Blue Apron meals have variety. You could choose from a variety of new recipes each week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. But whatever they send, it's going to be fantastic. Recipes are not repeated within a year, so you're never going to get bored. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. I'm doing it, so I'm sure anybody could do it because I'm not a chef, but Blue Apron has me feeling like Chef Rappaport. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they will make it right. Blue Apron could be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. For those of you who spend a lot at restaurants or high-end grocery chains, you can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal at home at blueapron.com. All right, now check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. Okay, get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Rappaport, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right. These are the questions that some of the fans wanted to ask. Hellboy 3, is that film happening? And this, I'm going to follow up. When did you realize Guillermo del Toro like, did you know right away? Like, he's obviously, I don't throw this word around, genius level. Yeah. Did you know it right away? Were you like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, it, the, the, some of the films you've done are so unique. City of Lost Children is so, like, your, your body of work, the uniqueness and the eclecticness of it is, to me, I'd be like, suck my fucking dick. Like, you want me to, like, you know, I imagine sometimes some people still want you to come in and read because it's retarded as if you haven't done, like, there's only one Ron Perlman. I'm going to do what I do. But you've broken out of what sort of stereotypes you might have been able to been put in because you're such a unique actor mm. and, and you've done such a unique body of work. I, I sincerely mean that. I mean, like, the, the, like, you know, Sons of Anarchy is like almost one of the straightest in a weird way things you've ever done. And I say straightest. You know, it's a fucked up character and it's a fucked up show, but it's like, you know, you know, with, with Hellboy and City of Lost Children and Beauty and the Beast, I'm like, this is such a unique career. The shit you've done is so unique that like Sons of Anarchy, there's no makeup, there's no nothing. It's you're speaking English. Yeah. So Guillermo del Toro, I know I just sort of threw that around. When did you know like this was somebody like that was special? Did you know right away or like we're at first we're like, this guy's fucking nuts, some sci-fi weirdo. Well, I had a feeling from the get-go, but then um, I've had feelings many times that, were, that ended up being disastrously wrong. Uh-huh. But with Guillermo, I, I, I had this feeling that, uh, like he wrote me this letter out of the blue, um, and it was, I was, an, I was a guy who, who, who actually thought I was invisible. 
Uh, I was a guy who thought that no one was noticing anything I did. Okay. Because nothing that I ever did had a cause and effect. I would just do, do shit, and then three, four years would go by before anybody called me to do anything else. Right. So there was no, there was no like momentum. There was no like, oh yeah, this guy was in this. Let's get him. You know. Right. So I had this, this, and then out of the blue, this letter comes, and it comprehensively goes over every move I've ever made. And it's this young Mexican dude who's never made a film before, who's begging me to consider reading his script and maybe coming on board. And the letter was, I still have it. It's handwritten. That's cool. It's gorgeous. And it's it's got so much love and and uh, he truly was studying. And the reason why he was studying me is because at that, by the time he wrote it to me, I had already done, had a body of work where I was behind a lot of uh, the creations of, of these great makeup artists. Uh-huh. I'd already been working with Chris Tucker out of uh, uh, England and Rick Baker and Dick Smith and Stan Winston. And on which things? On Be- Beauty and the Beast? On various things. Okay. On Beauty and the Beast, on uh, Beauty and the Beast, which was Rick Baker, Quest right. of Fire, Name of the Rose was Manlio Rochetti, who won the Academy Award. Right. These were, these were world-class special effects makeup artists. Okay. Guillermo, being a guy who made monster movies. Right came to the United States to figure out how to make his own makeup for his own movies because nobody in Mexico could could execute the shit he needed. And in studying all this makeup mm. stuff, he, he just, you know, naturally came across all the stuff that I had done. Right. And he, he was like, uh, Ron Perlman, this is your life. That's what the letter was like. This is like the, an homage. What year was, is this? It was a love letter. It was like 19... 19- 91 maybe. okay and um and then i read the script and it was a script for a movie called chronos right and it was the weirdest most original most unlike anything i'd ever seen vampire story and there was an elegance to it were you able to make sense of the script visually? Oh yeah, no, the script was the script was brilliantly written. Okay, very easy to 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 even see it. It's, it was written incredibly well. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Because like sometimes you read sci-fi, like for me, and I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know what the fuck this is. Like, what is this going to be? Yeah, but it was it was beyond genre. Okay, it it, it happened to be a, a vampire movie, right? But it was also sort of like very philosophical. Okay, and it was. It was talking about kind of um, gothic. It had this big sort of gothic kind of um, colorings to it. Right. And a real sophistication and a real elegance okay. to the writing. And so it, because it was none of the things you would expect to read, it was. It, it became essential that I, I, I mean, I had to meet this guy. Okay. He comes to the United States. We go have dinner at some restaurant on Wilshire Boulevard. And in in five, he's this heavy set Mexican kid. In five minutes, it's like we knew each other for thirty years. Mm. But we start talking about the movie and the movie that he has in his head. I'm telling him what I see in the script. Nothing that I say is is what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. He's telling me what he's going to do, and I'm going, "Holy shit! I never even imagined okay. you were going to go here with it." And I'm listening to this guy. 
to the point where I'm realizing I'm I'm in the presence of somebody who doesn't think like anybody else. You knew right away. Well, he I definitely knew he doesn't think like anybody else. But he also thinks like he was born to put images on the screen. I got you. Like there are certain guys who were just born to be filmmakers. I, I totally and, understand. And, and this guy was talking like like he 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 kind of blew my mind because you don't expect to meet a guy like that. Yeah. Who'd never made a movie before. He had never made a movie. He'd never made a movie before. <clears throat> but you just knew from the way he was speaking, he was special. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was, he was painting, he was painting a world that was, you know, nothing that I could have in my imagination right. put together. This was right. something that this was coming from, from an imagination that was really, really singular and really original and really didn't have any connection to anything that I had ever experienced before. I got you. So I said, okay, I'm in the presence of something here. I'm not sure what. I got you. Then we start doing the movie, and I get invited to watch dailies, and I realize from the way he's framing things and from the way scenes are playing that he's not – He's not making a movie. He's making cinema with a capital C. Right. I mean, you know, he's like, like this is this is one of those guys. Are you like, fuck, how lucky am I? Because, you know, you, everybody wants to find somebody that like, that like thinks you're the shit, that gets you that. And he obviously got you. And he's and, 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 and then, you know, which is flattering. And there's a younger actor. You're younger than you're like, you know, I got a guy who thinks I'm great. And you know, he's open to me. And then you see him and you're like, holy shit. You know, like this is. Are you like what the fuck? Like how lucky am I? Like you know, yeah, to be- it was very much like that, and uh, and then the, the the friendship that developed. There was a real closeness. We 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 had a couple of incidents in the course of the movie that just drove us even more in love with each other. Uh, really realized, you know, he's got my back, I got his back, and that just made us more than collaborators, more than director actor, like bros you know right so that when it came time to do uh blade he found a role for me in that and then you know he let me know that he had this other thing called hellboy that that the studio was throwing all these names at him and he kept throwing ron perlman's name back and it took him seven years but he finally got that made the way he wanted which was with me and and you get this i mean this is such a again this is like what the fuck? You're like this New York Jew. You're this actor, and it's like this movie. Like this, one I'm saying, like you broke out of like stereotypes. Like you're not even playing like Gavones. Like I'm sure you've done your, you know, this TV act. You know, Gavone. This- you know, you're the only other guy besides my best friend, rest in peace, Burton Levy, who was the Godfather. But is that actually a word? I'm not sure. It's definitely some fucking. New- I think it is a word. But, but, only but New Yorkers. It's a New York word. Yeah, Gavone. But, but but it means like you're not playing like Joe Show, you know, Thug yeah, Two, and yeah. you know, Goon This and This. Like, but I if mean, you say that to any Italian outside of New York, no, they they're gonna go. Get cosa fa? Yeah. What the fuck? So yeah, it's it's a New York word. God bless you for using the word Gavone. I haven't heard it since my 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 dear friend. But it's it's a, it's a totally New York word. It's a totally New York word. But you 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 I mean, this is something I just admire because you you broke out of all these stereotypes of what your career could have been. You know what what would be just the typical sort of New York guy. Like you could just be like New York, and you you find this guy and these parts that are just out of that. 
that typical thing. And, and I just, I think it's just so, so cool. So, so, but this, you get this film Hellboy, like, did you know that was special? Like when you're well, reading this, but oh, at this point, you know, Guillermo is, you're working with high level shit and, and right. You, well, you, not only that, but the, after Kronos, like Kronos, uh, with all of the little problems it had finally finding its way to the world. Right. Um, it gets invited to competition in Cannes Film Festival. They have like three different. They have the the big the big prize, the Palme d'Or. Right. Then they have a certain regard, and then they have Critics Week. Right. And it got invited to participate, I think, in Critics Week, and it won. Right. So Guillermo immediately vaulted to a place where the world was. He, he put the world on notice. There's a new guy in town. Right. And and you're his fucking guy. Well, I'm. Um, I happened to be there from the beginning. Which is, I mean, that's special. But it, it was very special. It was really special watching, like, ha having that moment the day I was watching dailies, and I turned to the other people in the room, and I went, this is not an ordinary filmmaker. This is a guy who, he has, like, you know, you look at a frame of David Lean. Yeah. And you go, there's only one guy who could, who could actually put that frame on screen. Yeah, yeah. And then you look at a frame of Kurosawa and you say the same thing. Yeah. Scorsese has, Coppola has that. Yeah. Well, Guillermo is in that group. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a guy who you, you just look at his framing. Yeah. And you go, he's not pedestrian. Mm hmm And this is not random. Mm hmm This is, he's painting. Mm hmm He's painting like, uh, like a, you know, a great impressionist painter. But he's doing it narratively, which is what makes cinema so unique. It's yeah. Like, you don't realize he's painting because you're, you're you're swept into this world and this story and this behavior. Is he is he doing things on the fly? How much preparation is it to get a frame to get a shot? Obviously, when you get into technicalities and CGI and and you know and, and the, that stuff. But it, just in terms of like when he gets on a set and you're doing a scene and we're shooting a scene here, how clear is he? How much is fluid? How much is in the moment? Or is it a little bit of both? It's all it's it, huge amounts of, of pre-production, huge amounts of thinking about what style he's going to employ uh, just visually for each film he does. Right. Um, huge amounts. Okay. Here's the genius part, though. Like, Mike Rappaport shows up on set and yeah. says, I got an idea. Uh-huh. I say I got an idea yeah, to him. And, and and he goes... I say, Guillermo, this is what we're going to yeah. do today. No, no, no. You don't say that. No, I know. Okay, but I'm just... I'm just I'm I mean, just, you might say that. No, It'd I be really the last time I'm you say anything to yeah, him. Yeah, I fucking think I'm crazy. <laughs> but but you say, hey, listen, could you listen to this? This is... I think this is pretty cool. I was at your exhibit here at the... Uh, was yeah. it... What was it? At the LACMA, Mocha? yeah. Yeah, at LACMA. I was at LACMA. And I was thinking, Guillermo, check this out. This is what we're going to do today. Because I... <laughs> <laughs> Go no, ahead. but he, but but you can you say I, I was up all night, man. I got to I got to share this with you, right? And you tell it to him, and if he digs it, he'll change his whole day around and accommodate that idea. If he believes in it, and he and it, and it makes if he if he goes if he thinks that's a better idea than the one he was gonna shoot, mm -hmm. I've seen him do it, and um, that's another thing, you know, you know that puts him in a different kind of weight class. Break it down. Because, because I know where you're going with that. But I know, I mean, you know, most guys, when they come up with a plan, they don't want to, you know, there's room for a little collaboration. Right. But they're not going to fucking change their shot list. Right. Or change their whole approach to how they're going to shoot this particular scene or right. moment because some asshole comes up with a fucking different idea. Right. But he will. Right. And he has and he does. And, and 
And then on top of that, he turns it into a Picasso. Right. Uh, there's so many aspects of what I do that I love that it's it's impossible for me. I could I could spend the rest of my life enumerating the things that I love, but there's nothing about the process of making movies that's more unique than the collaboration of it. Right. Because, and this was the greatest epiphany I've ever had, and this is not the first podcast I will share this story on. All right. But this is the most- Well, it's the best podcast. No, is, Marin and the other guys are fantastic. This is the most recent. Okay, good. Give I it don't to know me. if I ever shared this on any podcast. Actually. Good. Give me the good but no, shit, No, I wrote Ryan. this in my book. This is in my book. I'm on a, 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 a cliff 20 kilometers outside of, of Rome. Okay. It's 1982. And I'm on I'm on a set of this movie, but I'm not in the scene that they're about to go shoot. And they're trying to get a shot at Magic Hour. Uh-huh. Now, Magic Hour happens twice a day. It happens at, at dawn and it happens at dusk. And it's actually an hour. And it's actually less than an hour. It's about a 20-minute window where the light is different than any other part of the day. And on sets... When they're trying to do that, it's very tense because it's they. A lot of times, they'll arrange the whole day to shoot this twenty minutes to get something very specific, very quote unquote magical. And you so have there's, you there's have to tension. Be, you have to you have to be ready to utilize every one of the twenty minutes that you have, right? Where you actually get the magical light, right? When they know that they're going to go for a, a shot at magic time, at magic hour, the whole day is planned around. We stop what we're doing at four thirty. And we prep for that shot. Right. You got to know your lines. And there that, can't be any fucking... That, it's like at, live at, TV. Because but at 5.10, we have to be rolling. And by 5.26, we've, we've lost the light. The party's over. So um, I'm on a set of, of a, a movie called Name of the Rose. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Jacques Anneau, Academy Award winner, is directing. Janina Delacoli, Academy Award winner, is, is, is lighting. Sean Connery, Academy Award winner, is starring. Mm-hmm. Production designer. Frederick March, by the way, is the other star of, of Best Years of Our Lives. Yep. But now I can't remember the name of the production designer from Name of the Rose, but I will in a minute. All right, we'll get to that. That'll pop up uh, in 12 minutes. Multi-Academy Award winner. Right. Then there's a woman who's doing costumes, five Academy Awards. Then, so, and I'm on a, I'm on a hilltop dressed in 16th century garb. Uh-huh. As a hunchback, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm made up up the wazoo, uh-huh. right? And I'm watching 400 people, half of them who have Academy Awards, in disparate art forms. Right. One of them is a painter. One of them is a seamstress. One of them lights photography. Right. One of them directs. And they're all running around like they're in kindergarten, trying to get this moment that happens from 5.10 in the evening till 5.26 at night. And I'm watching them run around, and they look like six-year-olds. Right. They like have, you know, they they have food that they're dropping on on their their clothes. Right. You know, they they're burning themselves with cigarettes while right. they're trying to do fifteen things. I mean, they're just a fucking mess. Right. But they're the most sophisticated motherfucking artists on the planet. Yeah. The best at what they do, and they're all trying to go for one moment. Of a 135-minute film. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, if this ain't the greatest way to make a living right. that I've ever seen, and it's different from theater, <clears throat> it's different from, from TV, yeah, it's different from everything else because it's the most elite, mm-hmm. and 
and it's beyond there's 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 no adulthood to it. I got you. It's all childish, imaginative, unabashed, just pure enthusiasm and like ah. I got you. And everybody's on this one page and it's all being filtered through one sensibility which is the filmmaker, but everybody's using these and you know, it's a high, right? So this is what I mean when I say collaboration. I don't throw the word around like this is this is a this is a real privilege. Yeah. To, to be witnessing that form of the artistry all being utilized in all all these disparate ways to come up with something right. that you hope is going to be watchable. Right. And no one even knows. You know you have no clue. Nobody even knows. You know I've been in a million movies where the same shit I'm describing to you happens and the movie is a piece of shit. You can't watch. You can't watch one second of it. Right. You know. You want to kill yourself. Right. You did it. You know. Right. So you don't ever know, but you go into every one of them hoping. Right. <clears throat> so when I mentioned collaborating, like what I was talking about with Guillermo, yeah. where I say I have this idea, and he actually takes the time to listen without being fearful that it's going to just fuck up his day. Mm-hmm. That somebody threw this monkey wrench into his plan. So he has. He has enough security in himself right. to know that he can still go with somebody else's idea and it won't if it makes the movie better, that's the only thing that matters. So he's adult enough to be to be that guy. Right. He's also smart enough to know a good a better idea than his own when he hears it. Right. And he's also adaptable enough to turn somebody else's idea into his own and make it maybe the best moment in the movie. Right. That's collaboration. Right. And I've seen that very rarely in my, I've seen it many, probably more than than a lot of actors. Yeah, I've been, just been doing it so long, but it's a beautiful thing when it happens. When when because you have that in your pocket and you have experienced that, and it's such a a rare thing. And I know we're talking some artsy farsy shit. When you're on season two of Sons of Anarchy, or season you know you know one episode nine of another show. And Anarchy, I can't, I don't know if thing, but like, you know, directors come in, there's different directors and you get a director who's clearly like not listening to you, not, you know, respecting you, not collaborative, you know, puppeteering you, telling you to hit marks and all shit. At this point, how do you deal with that? As like now that you, you, you've, you've had that, that beauty, you've had these moments, a bunch of them. And you've worked with a guy who's a director, a filmmaker, who's had a fucking actual exhibit, Guillermo del Toro, in a fucking museum. Right. Like, you got to think about that. Right. Like, the motherfucker, like, there's a lot uh-huh. of dope filmmakers, but, like, there's another, there's a handful. Kubrick had one. Right. Uh, what's right. it, Tim Burton had one. But then, right. like, this, like, you're, you've worked, like, you're this person's guy or one of his main guys. And then you're on season two and fucking schmucko directors coming in telling you to do on your show right. or even a show that you're guest starring in. How do you... Do you go fuck you? Do you listen? Do you not listen? Or are you are combative? Or are you just like okay, okay, and then do it your way? Do you know what I'm saying? When they put I the totally handcuffs on saying. you, because I, totally... I can't fucking stand it. I don't well, understand it either. That why they why would they put handcuffs on Big Ron? No, but or any actor. You know, if you'd asked me this ten years ago, you probably would have got a different answer. Than I got I'm you. Give you now. Because I got I'm, you. I'm trying very hard to like. The best advice I was ever given was by this PA, this young girl who was running base camp uh-huh. on this disastrous movie that was like the most disorganized piece of shit amateursville thing. 
And that's saying a lot because I've been on a lot of really, really disastrous piece of shit, disorganized amateursville thing. But this was the number one. <laughs> and uh, this girl who was running base camp, poor girl, had to give me bad information every day. Right. Six times a day. And she's just a young girl trying and, to find her way in life. And she had to give me this information knowing that it was going to piss me off, knowing that it was wrong, knowing that she was completely steering me down the garden path where right. there was no... But she had to give it because she's on the radio and she's, she's the lowest in the food chain. Right. So she had to be the one to deal with my reaction. Right. On the last day when they wrapped me and they finally you know, said, okay, you can go home, Ron. I said goodbye to everybody on the set. The last person I said goodbye to was her because she's standing there by the car that I'm going to get into and drive away. And she said to me, can I give you a piece of advice? And I said, sure, darling. And she loved me. And I loved her. Okay. But she saw some dark shit. <laughs> and, and she says to me, try not to be yourself so much. Oh, shit. And I came back and mentioned that to my family, my <laughs> wife and my kids. And mm -hmm. they said, that's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten. Yeah, I, I'm going to take heed to that. But um, uh, when, I, when that guy appears on the set... Mm -hmm. If he's a really sweet, nice guy, right? I will. I will say, you know, you probably want to. How about we do it this way, right? If he's a dickhead, right, and he's walking around with like, like big swinging dick, and right, he's like, he's like the guy, and right, like, uh, you know, you know what else I've directed? I will eat this motherfucker's lunch, right? How? I, like just break his? Just, just you? Will you? Will you? Will you stay on him? No, I'll, I'll, I'll make it like, uh, like I, I don't have time. For, for for this to be a process. Right. I'm going to tell you right now what the fuck you're doing is not going to... We're not going one minute past this like right. this. Okay? Right. So now it's time for you to shut the fuck up and get the fuck out of our way. Right. And they usually begin to quake. Right. You know? Right. Um Do I don't, you get I don't I don't get off on No, I don't, I don't look I don't look forward to doing that. I hate to do it. Yeah. But if somebody walks on a set and for me the set is kind of like church. Right. And and they take a dump. Right. On the on, on in my church. Right. You know, they got to get straightened out. Right. Are you do you get concerned about oh they're going to say Ron Perlman's difficult. Do you know real oh, you know cuz I know like you you I you don't want to do that. You don't want to be cuz I'm asking you cuz I deal with it a lot too and I'm actually just dealing with it recently and I'm trying to find like the most diplomatic constructive way but it, sometimes it's like it's just what the fuck man like what yeah. the fuck man yeah. like you know what do you want me to fucking do like why am i here like you know and i know what again like people like oh you sound like two fucking whiny fucking bitches but i was just talking about the creative process do you get worried about like well he's difficult he's a pain in the ass to deal with like d does that cross your mind or at this point you're like fuck it no at this point um, I'm like fuck it because right. because pretty much I I never pull that card out unless they got it coming mm -hmm. and I also feel as though it's justified because time is of the essence on a movie set or right. especially on a TV sh right. show because you're shooting so much per day right and if somebody walks on there and they're and they're ready to like fuck up everybody's biorhythms right that needs to be stopped so I actually feel like. By doing what I do, I'm doing the show a service. Right. I try to uh, uh, not be cruel. Right. But if the guy's a fucking asshole, he's an asshole. Right. You know. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, there were times in my life before I was the silverback Jew, you know, where I paid a heavy price for opening my mouth. Right. You know, and I did get, you know, I I probably did have people talking about what a fucking dickhead this right, is. Right, right, right. Who the fuck does this guy think he right. is? Right. You know, because I've always had uh, standards right. that I followed that I felt like, you know, this is the way it should be done. Right. And the minute you have an opinion like that, you know, but you're in the sandbox, somebody's going to go, oh, stay away from him. Right. He's trouble, you know. Right. And, and every great actor I know, probably including Meryl Streep, probably somebody is walking around going, what a fucking, you know. Listen, you come across so many fucking people in show business, you know, there's, a, what is it, 60, 50, could be 100 people on a gigantic movie. Not everybody's going to like you. No. And, and it's certainly my, I mean, some people, some actors are, but I, you know, if you have a disposition, like I just don't think everybody's gonna like you all the fucking time. And if you try to make everybody like you all the time, and you do that, God bless you. But it's- and I know a lot of people who do. I know a lot of people who will do anything to not make waves. And I don't particularly respect those people that much. I hear you. I hear you. I really want to know, like, what are you really feeling right now? Right. And maybe we can channel this into some good shit here in the movie. You know. Right. Can I pause for a quick second? Yes, yes. I just want to point out to the listening audience before I forget that you and I are in a movie together. Yes. Which has not opened yet. Leah Shriver. I don't know if you've seen it. Have I you? haven't seen it yet. The Bleeder. I've seen it. It's a story. It's a, it's a boxing movie. About, Chuck Wepner. About Chuck Wepner. And although you and I have no scenes together. None. And you did your scenes on a completely day, a day where I was not nowhere near the premises and vice versa. Yep. I did see the movie. Yes. Is the, I heard it's really good. I like the movie a lot. I'm a big fan of Liev. I think he's a really talented Silverback dude. Silverback Jew. Silverback Jew. Young Silverback Jew on the rise. Naomi is fantastic yep. in the movie. Um, and I will think of the other girl. Um, it's a great cast. Chuck yeah. Webner, if you don't know, is like it, it, he's like the real Rocky. Yeah. And, and, and you know, he accused, and a lot of the movie is about the ramifications of him sort of going crazy from the movie Rocky. It's not the life and times of Chuck Webner. It's, he fought Muhammad Ali, and yeah. it's one of the things, one of the things, it's not the total reason, because I'm not going to discredit Stallone. It's one of the reasons, one of the ideas that spawned Rocky. Right. And, and, and after he saw it, and after he saw Ali, that, him seeing that movie sort of made him crazy. Right. Made him go nuts, and that's that's very much part of the storytelling, right? In the, in the, in Which the is bleeder. a cool way. It's not a biopic. It's not like oh, I got my first yeah. pair of gloves. But uh, it's a good movie. It's coming out soon, and it's the first time I get to share the screen with Michael Rapaport. And you play Chuck's brother, yes. And you have not seen the movie. No, I'm telling you, you're wonderful. Oh, in the thank movie. you. I mean, really, really, you have a, a a couple of scenes, the second of which will just. Uh, I, I'm tearing up thinking about it. Oh it was, shit! It was very moving, very moving because yeah, the relationship between these two brothers is uh, really abrasive, and, and uh, like most abrasive relations, they are that way because of how deep the feelings go, um, and that's beautifully played by you and Liev. In fact, he doesn't even say anything in the in the second scene. It's all you. And it's great. Oh, cool! I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I, you know, I was, I was like, when they asked me about it, because I've known the story, because Rocky was like, that was like my movie. Yeah. Like I saw that when I was, I didn't want to be an actor, but I was just like, that was like, I wanted. It yeah. just fucked my. It changed yeah. my whole. I mean, everybody. Yeah, that's a masterpiece. Of course. 
I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is sponsored by Casper Mattress, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. You could try a Casper mattress for 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you do not love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. With over 20,000 reviews online and an average of 4.8 stars, Casper is quickly becoming the Internet's most popular mattress. They have sheets. They have pillows. They even have doggy beds. Go to Casper.com. Save $50 towards any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com forward slash Rappaport. Use the promo code Rappaport. Try a Casper mattress 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. Go to www.casper.com forward slash Rappaport. Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, I'm going to rattle off questions. Hellboy 3, is it coming? I don't, I, I, I just don't have anything more to add to that. About two weeks ago. Do you get asked this all the fucking all the time? time? All the time. And mo- you know, sometimes it's dead, sometimes it's alive. Right now, it's um, a little bit alive again, but I'm not going to say very much alive again right. because Guillermo tweeted something the other day um, asking the fans um, whether they wanted to see it, and he got this avalanche of a response. They said yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we're, 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 it's back on the in discussions again, but um, if. You know, I'm not going to say, I don't know. What's the longest amount of time that you've ever sat in a makeup chair? Because you've done these fucking films and TV with the makeup and the, the, the prosthetics. I don't know how, especially if like your disposition, I would be like, I just getting normally made up for 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, just get me the fuck out of here. Like, are how are you able to do that? Like you sitting there for how long? What's the longest process? Like, What was the most arduous show that you did or film that you did with the makeup? Well, uh, the, the longest day was uh, um, 12 hours. Where you're sitting down getting um, the shit done. Um, um, it took me 12 hours For before what? I was able to. It was the first day of Name of the Rose. Okay. And the scheduling was really fucked up. They should have, they should <laughs> never have scheduled this particular scene on my first day. But I play a hunchback in right. the movie. So not only did they have to turned me in my face into like uh, very similar to Charles Lawton yep. in his Hunchback movie. But they, this in this particular scene, they whipped me right. shirtless. Okay. And they had to put the hump on. Okay. Which is a one-time only thing. Right. So, so you have spent, to see the actual hump on yeah, your skin. So, so they spent eight hours getting my face right because it was they'd never done it before. What takes eight hours the first day ends up being like two and a half, three hours once you get the hang of it right and then they had to put this hump on and it had to blend perfectly into my own back right because there's close-ups of me getting whipped and that took another four and a half hours right so uh we only had like 40 minutes to shoot the right. scene right and you got all this shit on yeah but that was that was a, that was a one-off uh there were days on hellboy two one and two where i was shirtless those days took around six and a half hours to get made up. Because it's top to bottom. Because you do the, the, the face has to be 
I mean, the way Guillermo's shooting it, he's got the camera like right, you know, inches away from you. Right. So, so it can't look like makeup. Right. So the, the just putting the face on, the head on is is arduous. And then when he had these shirtless scenes, um, it was the same thing. Everything had to blend in perfectly and and uh, not look like makeup. Do you do you get because because and he's one of these guys. Other guys would be CGI. Right. They would just shoot me. I'd have a whole bunch of like pins in me. Right. And then they would put the stuff in post production. Right. Which is cheating. Right. And which, but Guillermo, it all has to be practical and it all has to be alive in, in, in real time and in, in nature. He's the real deal. Because he feels as though the minute you do something that's, that's completely manufactured, you're kind of putting a wall between the viewer and, what they're looking at i got you and i agree with that do you what kind of what's the craziest hellboy fan lunatic that you've dealt with because when you you that kind of film and that kind of cultness and and fanaticism i imagine what's the craziest like one incident fucking guy where you like you know i gotta call the authorities i'm i'm sure it's come across specifically from hellboy maybe sons of anarchy i mean you've done these things that like they're very culty mm-hmm. you know not, not that there's like that i'm saying like i they I, I could see the fan the fans being culty what's the craziest thing from hellboy that you've dealt with is it a guy is it a girl is it a group of little kids showing up at your door like what's the craziest shit you've dealt with it from a fan in regards to that one of those films that you've done Hellboy, not much, but really, Beauty and the Beast, which was the very first time that I did anything that was kind of mainstream because yes. that was on CBS primetime. And the Beast became mm. because he was an outcast, right? And because he was prevented from living a normal life because he was a freak. Yes, he touched off um a lot of responses by people who had really low self-esteem, some some people who, who had real serious, like, big-time problems, health problems oh. and stuff. He became a symbol. And they're the, relating to the character. And they're really relating. And the male was, the male that I started getting, and that was, it was the first kind of mainstream thing I ever did, so I read every single fan right. mail. I, I responded to it. I answered it. right. I had to stop because people were involving me in in these nightmarish scenarios in their own that they were living through in their own lives, and I and I would get emotionally involved, and I would start caring about these people, and 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 oh, uh, but then there were a few people who couldn't separate. Uh, I don't want to dignify uh, the the stalkers uh. by by getting into too much detail. Um, suffice it to say there were police involved and everything like this. Right. But people would show up at the front door. People would show up in my house. People would show up. Holy shit. And uh, <laughs> That's scary. Some people still do. Fuck. I hear you. Don't I mean, take, don't, don't take no for an answer. Right. And uh, That's scary. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just fucking Ron. Remember, you know, I'm just Ron from yeah. Washington Heights. I'm just, like, yeah. Sons of Anarchy is another, like, again, to me, like, I, I think about all the things you've done. The straightest fucking thing, and then you're like, Sons of Anarchy is, is straight. But in a Ron Perlman career, it's sort of straight. There's no makeup. Yeah. That's another one that created like this this stir, this cult. It's the, you're dealing with the, the underbelly. I heard as an actor, I'd hear around town, 
Fucking guys would be getting into fights on the set. Craft service people would be fighting other craft service people. You know, people are throwing cameras. Like, I heard that that set, the making of that show, like, I remember one day I was like, what are you guys? I, I thought I heard, like, two people talking about, like, like a fight, like a gang fight. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Overheard them at lunch. Sons, I was like, this is on a, a, a TV show? Oh, yeah, they fight all, every day. I was like, actors are fighting each other wow. all the time, every day. Actors are fighting uh, each other. Uh, the, 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 the creators fighting actors. It, was like a, it sounded like it was like a, like a, crazy, a crazy house, but yet it was a successful thing. What was, without going into too much detail of the show, and all the, what was the reality of making that show? What was the Kurt Sutter of, of it all? And were people actually fighting each other on this set? Like, it sounded like a fucking nuthouse. Oh wow! Where do I begin? Where do I end? <laughs> um, it was never quite as you described, but there was a basis for why it you know it turned into like this this fish story. Uh-huh. Where, you know, you catch a fish that's six inches, and by the time you tell the story, it's four and a half feet. You've heard this before about this set, right? Heard it. I lived it, bro. Right. I mean, there were fisticuffs on occasion. There was a lot of testosterone. Right. Um, there was uh, a good deal of tension a lot of the time, a lot of it coming from the top. Okay. And without going into a great deal of, uh, of detail uh, for legal reasons uh-huh. <laughs> and, and for a lot of other reasons where, you know, I, uh, I'll get back to this in a second. Mm-hmm. But the story I told you about collaboration being my favorite thing Mm -hmm. in in why this means to me what it does, that didn't exist on that show. Ah. And for a guy like me, Ah. and not just me, but there were a whole bunch of other veteran actors like me who were used to a certain degree of... um, well, now we're acting this. This is this is our, ours now. Right, I'm the character to bring to life. There comes a certain point where, you know, you you gotta let me run with it. Right, and maybe not. You know, you know, they're paying you. You know, right. you got to live by their rules. But that doesn't make it any easier when you are not supposed to be the guy driving the bus. Right. Because relinquishing control is not what we're here to do. Right. And that was an assault on my sensibilities um, for six years. Damn. Here's the, here's, here, here, was the, here was the tightrope walk. I loved the guys. That you worked with, the actors. I loved being Clay Morrow. Uh-huh. I loved the fact that every year we were, we were breaking not only the records of The Shield, which was the other show at FX, the only other show at FX that got any attention. Right. We started shattering their records, and then year, year after year we shattered our own record right. to the point where we were like a, a juggernaut. I loved that. I right. loved being part of that. None of those things were things I could walk away from easily. Uh-huh. Um, the adulation, the success, the mainstreaming, you know, element of it because most of my career has always been kind of fringy, right? And art housey, right? Um, this was like straight fast fastball, straight down the middle, right? Um, and it was so those things that were niggling at me, right? Were I would go to myself, shut the fuck up, man, stop 
bellyache and look what you have. Look right. at all the great shit you have. But suffice it to say, uh, it created an environment that was somewhat toxic. Mm. And if you uh, heard stories about fisticuffs, which were probably multiplied tenfold from what actually happened. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Right. There was an awful lot of love and hugging and kissing and, you know, guys hanging out and drinking and partying and, right. and officiating at each other's christenings. And, right. You know, baptisms and, you know, like like real esprit de corps. Right. But there was also this, this toxicity that um, we had to maneuver our way through mm. and navigate our way through. And... Um, it, it it taught me a great deal about what I will tolerate and what I won't, and 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 what I will do for my family and for for paying the rent. Right. And shit, man. You know, yeah. I mean, it it, br- it brought me right to my limit of Fuck. of what I uh, what I could tolerate. Is it is it was it was it just like being told what to do or the way it was being told what to do or all of it of all of the above like because that sounds like that's that's fucked up because it's like the show is so adored and so loved and it, there's this success and then you're like in a, in a goddamn you know emotional war sometimes physical war uh, uh, over a tv show and then like you look at like you know what real life is and you know real health is and real health issues and you know real world problems I'm sure it's a, a conflicting thing, like because you're like yeah, you're- because I mean, who, who am I to f- ever fucking complain about anything, or even, or even give the slightest inclination that anything that I'm doing is a problem compared to like you look around and you just look at you know the realities of of so many of our brethren, right? And cistern is that right. a word? Yeah, cistern. You're asking me? You cause you've thrown some fucking good words at me, Ron. But anyways, you know, uh <clears throat> that's the other thing. You you just you I just never want to give the the pro the, the impression that this was anything other than the greatest blessing that was ever bestowed on me. Mm. But even so, life is not black and white. I mean, you know, life life has you know, there's there's twenty four hours in the day and you gotta get through them. I mean, you know, look at Sinatra, man. Right. You know, whatever gets me through the night. Well, you're, you're you're sitting on top of the fucking world, and you have a twenty-two next to you, and you don't know whether you're gonna when are you gonna put put it in your mouth because right. of this Ava Gardner stuff. Right. So it's not it's not black and white. Right. You could right. be the you could be in the in the, in the greatest like most privileged place, and still um, having to navigate through it uh, in areas that you're you're not you weren't kind of trained for. I got you. I wasn't trained to be political. I wasn't trained to 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 be popular. You right. Know, these are things you have to learn how to do in right. order in order to like um this is really gonna sound fucked up. Uh-huh. But failing in show business is easy compared to succeeding. How so? Because the minute you are a success, your problems get so complex. Mm. First of all, you now have something to lose right which the way you got the success was by having nothing to lose right so you had this spirit of adventure you have this spirit of fearlessness you right have this, i got nothing to lose man right i'm really gonna like i'm gonna ilo everybody right right you know? right and then you get there and you suddenly have a bank account that you're trying to at a nest egg that you're trying to protect right and all of a sudden your choices start getting more and more safe yeah and your behavior starts getting 
more and more like non-committal, right? And you're picking friends differently, yeah. And you're you you know you may have a different dynamic with family members. Yeah. This is all things that come with. People will start looking at you differently, right. which makes you have to look at the world differently. Right. All this stuff comes with success. It's very, very hard thing to navigate. Right. And you've seen story after story after story after story in, in every field in the world where yeah. there's success of people fucking it up. Yep, yep, yep. And, and I'm, I'm one of these guys that's constantly been on the verge of fucking up everything I ever built for myself. Right. I'm a bomb thrower. I'm a bridge burner. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you know, I'm I'm an angry Jew, man. <laughs> and it, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that I'm sitting here with you, and somebody still wants to hear what the fuck I think. Right? No, I I totally understand what you're saying. I totally understand what you're saying. It, it, I it, that's why I'm asking you because I you know I see what you're doing and I see your career and and your temperament and and you know just so the people know, like me and Ron met. Which the first time we met was at a golf charity thing and we just hit it off i had never i was just a fan of yours we were at this charity i don't even play golf ron i don't know listen you you had clubs you had an outfit i don't know like i mean i don't know if but, that was but, a fucking, but i played just like you yeah i mean i was like you know i was hitting balls the wrong way i don't know what the fuck was yeah. going on out there but I, but you know i've always felt this kinship to you and and, and admiration because uh, you're a little bit older than me, and and well, as that's an, so great because I'm such a fan of yours and have been, you know, from afar. And who knew? I mean, who knew that you know that you know? It's great when, uh, yeah. Who who? Because I want to get into politics and Ron Perlman 2020. Just quick, you can rattle them off. Who have been actors over your 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 career that you've been in front of? That you were like, whoa, this person's fucking good. Like, if you're playing like basketball, like obviously, like you know, NBA people, a lot of people talk about when they were on the court with Jordan for the first time, and it might not even be the famous ones. It could be the guy lesser known, but like over, like there's been a handful of times where I've been in front of actors where I'm like, oh shit, you know, like where you're seeing their skill level. Yeah. No, I, I when I when I give it up to somebody, I become a ball of quivering jello. I mean, I you know. Um, I don't. I won't go into the, the Brando stories because they're all in the book. You, I'm recommending if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't read my book yet, we don't have time to get into the Brando stories because they're they're really long. I, I can't. I, I yeah. But I became a massive quivering flesh in front of him. I'm sure. And what was the film you worked with him on? Um, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Right. And which n- talk about a nut house. Apparently that set was a fucking real nut house. So I guess yeah. any Brando. Yeah, set was a fucking had that to was be a nut house. But but yeah, I was in the presence of Sinatra. I've been in the presence of Mickey Mantle, and um, these are guys that um, I stop being me. Mm. I just start being like a loser, mm-hmm. like I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I come I come to find out afterward mm-hmm. that Brando had seen my movies and really thought I was cool mm-hmm. until he met me and he goes, "What the fuck is wrong with this dude? He's right. like he's like a mess." Right. Same with, you know, Sinatra, uh I could have spent time with him mm-hmm. if I wasn't such a fucking, you know, like you're Frank and I'm like I'm nobody. You know? I hear you though. I, I I keep the same sort of distance. I'm like I'd rather just keep it as like yeah. some people I'm just like, you know, I've had 
you know, ball players or actors. I'm just like, I'd rather just, yeah. I don't want to get to know you. I love you too much. Yeah. I don't even, like, I just want to watch the painting. I don't want to be inside the fucking painting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, no. I, and that's, that's and some people are cool with sort of like being like, hey, I'm hanging out with here. Here's Kobe. He's over here for waffles. I'm like, I'll watch him. I want to go see him on the court and that's it. Or You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, every once in a while, <clears> you, you have that fanboy thing. And then the guy turns out to be to bend over backwards to 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 make you his equal, right? And and then the the switch goes off, and and you you start hanging out like like you and me are hanging out now, where you know there none of, there's no Chazara, you know, right, right. Sean Connery, like uh-huh. when I w- walked on the set with him for the first few days, I I, I, I was stammering, right? You know? But he was so nice to me, uh huh. And he took me aside and he said. I see what you're doing here with this this thing. I, I really want to, let's rehearse because I have some great ideas. And he kind of came down to me and right. said, I'm, this is, we're going to do this differently now that I see what you're doing. Yeah. And we ended up, he ended up being so easy to be around because he was so um, on my level. Got you. He went out of his way. Got you. That by the end of it, we were like, you know, we were, I felt like, Okay, we, we could be buds, right? I wish I wish I could have achieved that with Marlon because I found out years later, you know, Marlon would have loved to have hung out with you, uh huh. But I just couldn't. I couldn't go there. Yeah, it's too far. Can you out. imagine though, like you know, like like you know, going up to his hotel room? I'm in, I'm on location in the far north Queensland, Australia. And on my hotel, my hotel room is six twenty six, and he's in nine thirty two. Go up and hang out with Marlon for two, three hours, and swap stories like you and me are doing now. Can you imagine? That's insane. With fucking Marlon, and Brent. I missed out on it. I mean, you know, I I got to hang out with him on set, and I got to observe the shit out of him. But <clears throat> this kind of shit, you right, would have been nice. Oh fuck yeah, with Marlon Brando, would have been nice. Yo, all soft ass I am Rapport stereo podcast t-shirts are available at districtlines.com forward slash I am Rapport. We got the five star stereo podcast tee, the I am Rapport stereo podcast zip up and pullover hoodies, the full Iverson t-shirt, the Stickman t-shirt collection, the I don't fact check, the hard body karate t-shirt for men and women. Go to districtlines.com forward slash I am Rapport. If you're into YouTube, subscribe to our page for exclusive content that we're going to be rolling out, go to www.youtube.com forward slash Rappaport. We got our own page on YouTube, people. All right. If you're into YouTube, subscribe to our page. Again, www.youtube.com forward slash I am Rappaport. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Ron, 2020 politics. I never thought that me personally, I'll just say for myself, that I would be so invested emotionally, um, curious about politics. I, I, I want to hear all your takes because you're on social media. You Like, I talk a lot of shit. You say, like, wild shit. And you're very politically, uh, you know, thoughtful and, and, and you know, you, there, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on. My first question in regards to politics is does it frustrate you 
that because because you know people think like if you're an actor you're you're a quote unquote celebrity like we're living on some special actor planet and like you Hollywood fucks like it's raining outside you know my breath stinks you know I take shits I take pisses They're, you know it's like we're regular guys Ron's from Washington Heights how do you feel about the people like actors should shut the fuck up you don't know anything you don't know what the real life the real world is like you don't know what real world problems are um you're these liberal fucks you don't know what you're talking about and and because you're so outspoken i'm sure that's some of the you know blowback you get from you know joe schmo who's very entitled and i'm like well what joe schmo i respect you but what why is your opinion more value than than mine i have kids i have a family i have worries i you know like how do you feel about that first part of it and and then just like where are you at politically and have you always been this sort of politically charged and politically conscious that's like a seven-part question. Yeah. The accusation, you're an actor, keep your mouth shut, you're here to entertain, nobody cares about your opinion, that has evolved with me. It used to bother me a little bit when people would say that, and I would actually shut up for a minute. Right. In this new age, where, which, is, which is the most polarized I've ever seen, especially, and it's being exacerbated by Twitter. Right. By the fact that anybody has... has a platform now right like the biggest fucking loser in the world suddenly has a platform right you know they have three followers but you know right they they still can get on there and and um since the 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 recent uh happenstances politically yes i have removed the chains i have it's it, it you know the gloves are off right it's all all bets are off now right you have the fucking balls to say what right does an actor have to have an opinion and you just put a fucking game show fucking clown right in the white house right who couldn't fucking act his way out of a paper bag he's he's a loser right as, as a fucking entertainer right he's a one-dimensional fucking loser right and you have the balls to say to me a classically trained actor. A classically trained a- actor. We're may or may not be classically trained at this point. We might have pulled the fucking who went like, from pussy to badass yeah. right in front of your eyes. Exactly. You have the balls to say that. To me. So I shut those guys down. Like, right. Like and, and 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 what's your normal shutdown for that? You're an actor. Shut the fuck up. Just entertain no, I have, me. I have fun hey, with it. I shut don't the have fuck a, I, up, Hellboy. Put your Hellboy fucking face on. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I, you, I have fun with it. Every everybody gets a completely unique, different response. Right. Depending on like how they worded it, I'll hit them back. With. Right. And then there's occasionally you'll see somebody who writes who kind of like tugs at your heartstrings, like they're so. Maybe you're on the spectrum. Maybe maybe you know maybe there's something wrong with you. And I'll try to be nice with them and go, hey. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, I'll try to be gentle with them. Do you find but, you, but, but fools, yeah, I will not suffer right now. Do you, you go off, yeah, especially now? Me, me too. Where, 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 my wife where, hates it, but you know, I, I, I am, uh, of the school that, uh, we have just stumbled into a, uh, a very, very dark, very dangerous scenario here by handing over the, the reins of power to, uh, People who are not equipped. Who who out of the bunch scares you the most? Because the guy that makes me the most uncomfortable is this fucking Bannon guy. I feel like that guy really has a black heart. No, Trump scares me the most because Trump Trump is fine by, you know, hanging out with guys like Bannon. Mm-hmm. Like he sought him out. Right. And he... The and company he, you and, keep. And he elevated him. Right. He gave him a position 
where he can do some real damage to the average American, which is you and me. Right. And uh, and and the thing about it that that kind of breaks my heart the most is that his supporters, the people who who voted for him, they're they're the ones that are probably going to get hurt the most. How so? Because he he shits on a golden fucking toilet. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. You know, you, the, the shit that you sold these guys, the snake oil shit that you sold these guys during the election, how you you are their guy. Right. You are their guy on a certain very sick, twisted level. Right. But it's not about improving their lives. Right. It's not going to improve their lives. If that's, if that's the scenario, people are in for some real eye-opening shit. Do you think that the, the thing for me that I've talked a lot about, the thing that, that, that bothers me the most about how he got elected is not saying it, but throwing out that sentiment that make America great again, you know, that racial, you know, anti this, anti that sentiment that he never actually says, but but he's put out there like the make America great again. Like what, what what's the again? Uh, the 60s, the 40s, the 30s. Pre, the- pre having a black guy in the White House. Right. That's what the again is. That's what it is. And and that's the thing to me that I, I, I think is the most unforgivable thing as of yet, because there's going to be more unforgivable things. But playing with that again, pre-having a black guy in the White House, you know, with the women shit. And I'm not Mr. Fucking Feminist, but I don't, I don't give a fuck. You know, it's like, it's like this guy's made some of the, the, the like, he, he's so fucked up and he's playing with morale so bad that, like, certain people are going to get better because of him. They're like... I'm, you know, I'm a fucking scumbag, but I'm not like this fucking guy. Like I, I've said some things, but this fucking guy is on another level. You know what I mean? Like, like he and he's really doing it, and he and he's in fucking power. You know, so so that that, that make America great again thing, the again, is yeah. what bothers me. Well, it's a dog whistle. You know, it's like it's a dog whistle, and and the people who that's the best way to say it, and the people who hear the whistle, uh. You know, he's appealing to them on a very, very, very primal level. It's very emotional. It's very from the gut. And there's a resentment of so much of what the world is evolving into. Um, Having the black guy as the leader of the free world is definitely probably the most offensive thing. Right. To a great many people. Right. But then there's all the stuff that goes with that, which is globalization. We now have to worry about fucking trade agreements with fucking China. We now have to worry about trade agreements. And so when he comes and says, you know, Mexicans are rapists and this and that, he's he's dog whistling. Every single thing he says is a dog whistle. Everything he says is a signal to these guys like the shit you just are looking at. You know, I'm going to I'm going to fucking take us back to a time when we used to, you know, and then while he's saying that, somebody's getting punched in the back row, and he's saying, back in the day, you would have been fucking carried out on a fucking stretcher. Right. In the good old days. And those of us who react in the way that you and I react are outraged, but it turns out half the population thinks that's the coolest thing they've heard. And that's that's what we're grappling with right now. Right. Is that... He managed to tap into something that um, has got these ramifications that uh, they're very one-dimensional. 
right. on one level. But when you're president of the United States and you're the most powerful fulcrum point on the planet and every single thing that you do affects every fucking member of, of the planet Earth. Right. Uh, one-dimensional shit. Don't cut it. Right. And you're seeing how he's legislating. And right. you're seeing how he's wielding his power. And it's all one-dimensional. Right. It's all like like shit that I used to do in the third grade in the schoolyard. How so? It's just fucking... Uh, I'm, I'll tell you how it's going to go, motherfucker. Right. You're going to fucking pay for the wall. Right. No, no, we're a sovereign country. We're, we're not... We don't work for you. Right. We don't, we're not part of the Trump organization. Yeah, there's no... I guarantee you, and you can... I've said, there's no... He, I think Trump knew... The, the, the details, the business of that wall from the beginning, and I think he knows there's never going to be no fucking wall. I think he knew Mexico would say that. That's the, like the, 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 the blatant part of the dog whistle. There's no, there's no fucking wall going up. It's not happening. No, They're not building the fucking wall. They're not paying for the fucking wall, and we're not paying for the wall. There's going to be no fucking wall, and that's, I think, going to be one of the things that bites him in the ass. In four years, there's not going to be a fucking wall. It's not happening. There's mm. no walls going up. When is it going to be built? Who's paying for it? How the fuck are you going to build a wall that big? Where's it going? What's it going to be called? The Trump wall? But the thing of it is, is that he's stomping on um, what truly makes humanity noble and, 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 and worth investing in and worth perfecting. Right. All of the beautiful, elegant, wonderful things that we learn, we're supposed to be learning in Sunday school, we're supposed to be learning when we're kids growing up, our civic responsibility, love thy neighbor, or having that, that requires having empathy, that requires understanding what it's like to walk in another guy's shoes, that requires, he's stomping on every single thing that, that encompasses decency right. and generosity right. for this kind of robber baron, like, let me get as rich as I fucking can and take all my fucking people who only care about money with me. Right. And then sacrificing every other part of humanity. Right. And humanity is really, really delicate. Right. It's really complex. Right. And it's really, it's, it's really something that needs to be dealt with with a great deal of humility, which he's incapable of having any of. Right. He has no remorse. Right. About any of the really, truly ugly things he says. Right. Really, true. I mean, you know, he he he's a danger. Yeah, and he's going to get a lot of people killed. Right, and it's going to be very very sad when 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 the chickens come home to roost. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just telling you, you cannot <clears throat> expect to behave this way and think there won't be any blowback. Right, you go around kicking everybody you meet in the fucking nuts. Right. You get into a fight with your three best allies in week one. Right. Week fucking one. Australia? Mexico? What the fuck is that? What the f- Everybody loves Australians. What they, the got fuck? Can- they got kangaroos, man. They're fucking kangaroos. I mean, what the fuck? They're adorable. There's Aussies. And you're starting shit with the fucking, with Australia? I mean, yeah. right? And Australians are tough. They're tough. They're tough motherfuckers. I'm sure this guy Turnbull is, is listening to the phone. He's actually probably looking at the phone going, <laughs> he's laughing his ass off, saying, probably putting it on speakerphone to all the other people in the room going, listen to this fucking retard. 
we're, we're you're starting beef with fucking Australia and Mexico. Like what? Our next door neighbor. The guy's not paying for the fucking weed. What did you think you were going to do? You thought you were going to just like you're you're paying for it. This isn't some fucking uh, uh, real estate business uh, in in New York. And like you know, there's some superintendent in one of your. I don't know what he thinks and what he well, thought. You know, un- un- unfortunately, and you know, the the problem is is that there were just too many of us who who said it can't happen here. Right who said it's not possible, every single thing that you could have pointed out about how ill-equipped he is for this particular job was pointed out in the, in the course of the election and pointed out, I, th- I thought, rather articulately, and still, and yet, we are here. Right. So Ron Perlman 2020 is the following. Now, yeah, go that, ahead. Where now, did Ron That's Perl- how I segue. That's my segue. Go ahead. On election day, November 7th, I go out and I play around the golf. I get home around 5 p.m. L.A. time, which is 8 p.m. New York time. How, how was your round of golf, by the way? It was pretty good. I had a nice day. Okay. I was with some people I love, my buddy Dan Loria okay. and a couple other guys. I'm shouting out Dan Loria on yep. your show. He's one of the most beautiful. You should have him on. He's, All right, I would love He's him. one of the purest, most beautiful. He's a veteran. He's, he was a U.S. Marine okay. during the Vietnam days. Okay. He is as pure a guy as you're ever going to meet. How was your stroke that day, though? Do you remember how your stroke was? I'm usually I usually suck, but every once in a while I'll have a day where I'm where I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm hitting the ball good. I had a good day that day. Okay. I get home. I put on MSNBC, which I normally do, and I'm at five o'clock in the afternoon, and the and the polls on the East Coast are just starting to close. I start to see patterns that I don't like. And I have the the news on for literally six minutes. And I immediately turned the channel to Turner Classic Movies because I couldn't watch it. I kept the the TV on Turner Classic Movies for the next four hours. But I would check Twitter every once in a while. And I would see, holy shit, Florida just went to him. Holy shit, Pennsylvania. And I'm checking Twitter and I'm, 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 I'm checking people's reactions, the people I follow, but I'm watching Turner Classic Movies. Around 9.30 LA time, I finally turned back to the news. And they're just announcing Ohio. And now he needs places like fucking Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> and, and, and these states he's never going to get. And I, I began... At 9.30 at night, L.A. time, this is about two and a half, three hours before they actually call the election, I began to go through the five stages of grief, Uh. the last stage of which is acceptance. Uh. And I got through the entire five stages, including acceptance, and I'm saying Donald Trump is going to be my president. And then I said, fuck this. I started started again. (laughs) And I went, started my second cycle of the five stages of grief. I got to anger, which is like the second or third phase. Right. That's a tough one for you, right? I got to anger, and that's when I took the picture of myself, a selfie with my hand over my heart saying, I'm using my immense Twitter following to announce my candidacy in 2020. Right. Because I decided at that moment that this was a reality that couldn't just be accepted. Right. This was a reality that needed to be dealt with in a way that you, I could never conceive of 
placing myself. Right. Candidacy for the presidency of the United States. Right. I don't want to be fucking president. Right. Who in their right, in their right mind would want to be? But that's better than sitting here going, I have no choice. Right. And to this day, and, and I vowed to myself and my, my few people around me that this was kind of half a joke, but that I was never going to stop running for president until I saw somebody better that was more prepared to like kick some fucking ass than me. And so far, nobody has emerged. So what has been so the I'm reaction? I'm still running. So, 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 so. I cut- have no can't play uh, pledges whatsoever. No pledges yet? I would I got actually, five bucks for I, you today, I, Ron. I, I, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. I need money to put in the meter. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. I got, I'll, okay. I'll pay for the meter. Okay, okay. I'll pay for the meter, you and I just, got five bucks. You could just pay for, for gas and tolls. I got that. Okay. I got that. I got that for a week. Gas and tolls for the for the campaign pledge. That's fantastic. So you heard it here first on the Michael Rappaport. I am Rappaport podcast. I finally got my first campaign contribution. This is historic moment. Now, what's been the reaction in three, three and a half years, three years, probably no one's going to emerge. People are going to be going, we want Ron. We want Ron. We want Ron. That's going to be the chant, the first one. If that's the case. Then what do we do? You got me. And, and, and would like, how far would you take this? Like if people are like, we won't, you have a, you you have like a million followers on Facebook. You got 300 something people. No one's going to say, we don't want Ron. Everybody loves Ron fucking Perlman. What are we going to do in two years, two and a half years? If shit isn't like figured out, there's not a, a viable young or older person that we could all stand behind. And they're like, we want Ron. Like, uh, how, how serious you got would me. you? You'd go. I would go. I would go. And how would you deal with, because I look at Trump. One of the things that I, I, I have to say that I, I like about Trump <laughs> is the New Yorkness. And but 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 just because I relate to it, I've seen he's like a three card Monty guy. Right. When Times Square was three card Monty Central, right. he's a New York I shit talker. I lost some money back then. We're all New York shit. If you're a New Yorker, you're a New York shit talker. That's the thing that I see in myself about him. He's a New York shit talker, but he's also a fucking punk, and he's also a rich New York shit talker. Right. I mean, he's totally. He, his whole life was was silver spoon. He, his, you know, he, everything was given to him. He's a New York shit talker. You're up there debating him, and he's talking. There, oh, what is this actor like? Would you would you be able he, to? He, like, he, 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 he cannot. I would have him in in five minutes. How? I'd have him. I'm smarter than he is. I'm right. slicker than he is. I'm much more. I'm as fearless as he is. Right. And I'm way smarter than he is. Uh, and I would. My, my New York thing, when I discovered this, this was a big moment in, in, in the, maturing, the maturing process of, of yours truly. Big I'm, Ron Perlman. I'm, I'm used to guys. This is, this is a New York. New York is a very provocative. Right. People will randomly come over to you in New York and start fucking with you. And they have a, a mechanism by which they know when they own you. Right. And a lot of New Yorkers are just out to like own motherfuckers. Right. 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 And I got owned for years and years in New York by by becoming, you know, fodder for the, you know, like like victims of these of these guys who hey, that looks like a, a big fucking fat loser. Let's uh, let's fuck with him for a minute. Right. And they would, you know, I got owned enough so that I I, I one day I said whatever degree this motherfucker is going to come at me with I'm going to top him by one degree. Right. 
I'm going to be one degree crazier than him. Right. And the minute I started doing that, they would run like cockroaches. I got you. I could out fucking Trump, Trump. Right. In a heartbeat. Right. I would own that motherfucker. There's not little Ron, little Marco, Lion Ted, you know. Come on, are you kidding me? Right, are you fucking I kidding got, me? I got sh- I shit better, through better hair than his. Right. Are right. you kidding me? Right, you got That's what I Look at that fucking mane of hair you I mean, have. But I mean, you know, but, I, but, I I know what you mean cuz it, it's like you think about like name calling and like when he was up there shitting on everybody and Hillary, I was like, "See this? Like I wanted to be the mouthpiece for her." Right. To just shut this and, motherfucker and, and, and down. I'm, and I'm convinced that that the weakness in Hillary was that that indefinable thing that you know you can't like put a, a, a quantify called pizzazz. Right. It's the same thing with actors. Right. You know, sometimes you look at an actor and you go, "That's that's a very capable, very fine performance." Right. Right. And then you look at somebody who's like, "Holy shit! I have no idea what the fuck this guy's going to do next." Right. Right. And you cannot stop looking at right. Them. Hillary just didn't have that pizzazz. Right. She said all the right shit. He has the pizzazz. He was a bright, shiny object. And he's able to talk off the cuff better than so, any so, of them. So if that's the level upon which you dominated the Democratic candidate, I got you. Exactly. I got you. You know what I'm now saying, let's though? let's talk about policy. Right. You right. Know talk, you know, let's get past all of the fucking schoolyard shit because right. I'll own you right but you have to you have to because he 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 did that to them he's talking shit he did this and and that's the thing that like and you know he making people laugh and he's like up there and I'm like this guy's a fucking three card Monty fucking hustler right he's talking bullshit right like what the fuck are you talking like he's even now he's like he says something he's like well back then I'm not sure when it was but I'm like you say the date, motherfucker. Like, finish your set. Like, because I, I talk shit too. Yeah, but if he talked that shit in my neighborhood, right? People just would have gone, "You ain't even funny, man." Right? And they would have walked away. Right? You got to at least be funny. Right? You're gonna talk shit. You got to like. It's got to be some wit to it. Right? It can't just all be hate. Right? Like spewing like. So, that's the part of it that. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else you want to know? You got a bu- your books out. I wrote a book about two years ago, uh, a memoir. Okay. And not only was it is it a memoir, but it's um, a little bit of a manifesto. There's a lot of anger in it. Uh huh. There's a lot of you know we the people motherfuckers with okay. with fists clenched. Right. But what it mostly is is um, it's a letter to my children who are artists, and it's a letter. So what I do is I chronicle, you know my life, my trajectory, the things that influenced me and gave me my aesthetic. And I'm talking about being alive for some of Humphrey Bogart. Right. A lot of Jimmy Cagney. Right. Some of Gary Cooper. Right. All of Frank Sinatra. Right. All of Bob Dylan. Right. You know, I'm talking about I when I walk through all of all of this dude up here. There's an amazing. You, you guys can't see this, but there's an amazing photograph of Ali and Angelo <laughs> Dundee on Michael's wall here. And I know I followed you on Twitter and, and Instagram when when we lost Muhammad yeah. last year. Nobody was more prolific at capturing what we had lost uh, than you. Thank I mean, you you you. you I re I reposted your yeah, shit yeah. all the time because you said what I was hoping I could say. Thank you about that guy. Thank you. I don't know what I was just talking. You were about. talking about the book. 
So And you were talking about what's in the book. Yeah. But I mean, uh, not only did I have all these heroes, but I lived in a, a world that was governed differently than it is now mm-hmm. because all of the studios mm-hmm. and all of the networks, mm-hmm. when I was a kid coming up, were owned by individuals. Right. There's nothing that's owned by an individual now. It's all corporately owned. Right. So, so making a movie at Paramount, right? You're like line 438 on a corporate ledger sheet, right? Making a movie for uh, Adolf Zukor at Paramount, right? There was no ledger sheet. It was one thing. Right. We make movies. Right. Right. That's what we do. We do it because we love movies. Right. We do it because we we want to we want to change the world. Right. One movie viewer at a time. Right. So the difference between my influences and what led to me having my value system as an actor were different than my kids coming into the world. Their influences are, they have no heroes. Right. No heroes whatsoever. There's nobody bigger than life. Right. There's no Sinatras. There's no Muhammad Ali. Right. You know, I mean, thank God for like, you know, Conor McGregor. Right. You know? Um, no, I hear you. And they have this internet, and they're stealing music. They're not paying for anything. There's no, yeah. They're, 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 they're stealing the New York Times. They're not even paying for that. Right. And, you know, and, and they're looking down in their phones all the time. They don't even look up and see a blue fucking sky. Right. So I'm trying to write a letter to them as to, like, here's what I saw, and here's what, how, how it made me think about things. And here's what a privilege it is to fucking stand on the shoulders. And I, I listed, I had like four pages, single space, of the names right. of the motherfuckers that were walking the earth that led to my aesthetic. Right. And I said, if you don't think you're standing on the shoulders of greatness, if you think you're inventing anything for the first time, and you think you can swagger over that shit, right. fuck you, suck my dick. Uh-huh. You are part of something great here. Right. And never forget it. And that's why when I come across a motherfucker who doesn't know how to collaborate and doesn't know how to respect other artists, I'll ready, I'm ready to kill that motherfucker. Right, you know? right. Uh, that's all I'll say on that. <clears throat> Where's the book? I should have brought you a copy. I, I, but where can people find the book? Because I, oh, I, br- well, I need the well, Brando if you stories. Go to my, if you go to my, um, my pages, uh, all, it's, it, it, the link to where you can get it on Amazon is right on there. What's the title of it? Easy Street. The hard way. Hand of God. Second season's coming. March 10th. Which is your show on Amazon. Yeah. You keep fucking going. Yeah. You're, 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 I'm, you're, I'm you're getting miracle. better with age. You're getting better opportunities with age. Although you've had a fucking run for like the last 30 years that I truly admire. You're one of a kind, Ron. I, I, I'm sincere when I say this. You, you, what you've done as an actor and, and, and the space that you've carved out for yourself is, is unduplicatable. I'm going to ILO you right now. You big fucking silverback Jew. You son of anarchy. I got fucking Hellboy in here with me right now. Breaking my fucking balls. You never come across Danny ILO in your years? I played baseball in the, in the Broadway show league against Danny. Okay. They used to call him over the trees Danny because he hit the ball so far. He, 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 he could hit? 
Oh, he, he was a power hitter. Oh, was I a, can I fucking hit? I hit the fucking ball out of Central Park. Rappaport's asking me, ask fucking Ron if I could fucking hit. I swatted that fucking thing down Fifth fucking Avenue, you cocksuckers, you. And by the way, Danny Aiello III, who was a stuntman yes. who, who passed away, yes. died, he died young. He was always my double whenever I worked in New York. Right. And he was a great double for me. We were the same exact size. We had the same coloring. Right. He was a beautiful fucking guy. So when you finally, when you get next to Danny again, tell him I miss his son so bad. I absolutely will. I, I'm just such a fan of his. And the Ielloing just came out of, because, you you know, like, to the me. The best thing, like, though, is when you Iello and, and ask him to Iello back. Right. And he can't do it. Right. He's just like, oh, I don't care. I'm like, I get him. I get him going. Because he's, he's such a he's such a New York guy. All right, and also, I'm going to give you a soft-ass Make Podcast Great t-shirt again, and you're the first person to bestow, because Ron is a golfer. I say that with serious air quotes. He's a golfer, <laughs> but I got I got the, the Stick Man uh, uh, I Am Rappaport golf uh, shirt, the polo pullover oh. in Hellboy Red for you. And I would never, ever, ever cop to being a stick man, but to be in the presence of one is an honor. Yeah. Fucking Ron. This is the Iron Rap Port Stereo Podcast. We're done. This is going to be so good.